Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. All right. I don't say this lightly, um, but it is so good to actually see people. I've been preaching in front of the camera uh, for, for months now, and it is so lonely, um, and it's so good. There's a few of us here, and it's so good to see all of you. Um, and so um, I, I've got to get back in the swing of things, though, and get used to this again, because this, is, this feels uh, pretty alien and foreign to me, actually having people in the same room where I'm speaking. Um, but... Uh, uh, I want to say, first of all, Happy Father's Day to the, the, the fathers in the house, and a Happy Father's Day. I, I know that one of the greatest privileges in my life is to be a dad. Uh, my uh, three children are here today, and I, I promised them I wouldn't embarrass them and, and put them on TV, but they're right back here, and so, so blessed by them. Uh, one of my very highest honors in the world, next to being married to their mom, and, uh, and so uh, I love uh, being a, a father. Fathers are so important. Um, and uh, I'm finding that the best advice that I can give to dads, because I'm not going to be speaking on fathering today necessarily um, on Father's Day, but I'm finding that the best advice that I can give to fathers is to spend so much time with your heavenly father that you become an encounter with him for, uh, with your heavenly father for your earthly family. And so that is the best advice I can say. It doesn't happen uh, by mistake. It happens with massive intentionality. Um, But dads, you have to get the heart of your heavenly father, and then you have to be an encounter with your heavenly father to your earthly family. And so that is my biggest word of uh, encouragement Um, that your life would increasingly proclaim um, that uh, uh, a small taste of your earthly father to, uh, of your heavenly father to, uh, on earth. This isn't coming out right. You can see that I'm very rusty. Bonnie, it's good to see you here. Um, But uh, dads, uh, listen, apologize often, uh, fight for joy in your family, and and spend time with your heavenly father. That's what I have to say about fathers this morning. Um, What... I believe that the Heavenly Father has put on my heart today um, is not to, um, it is to talk about the kingdom family that God is building. And in order to do that, in the day and age in which we live, I really believe that I need to begin a conversation today where we, uh, we begin to uh, have a biblical conversation uh, discussing a biblical theology of race. And so this morning, that's really what I wanna talk about. Um, This is where my heart and my study has gone. Um, I have been um, in a season of really uh, hurting um, with what is going on in our world. And and instead of launching statements into social media, I've been calling my my friends and family of color, and I've been sitting down with them, and I've been listening to their hearts. Um, I remember just a a few months ago, uh, before kind of things were hitting the news, uh, we, as a family, we were watching a movie, and um, something very racist happened on the movie, and we stopped the movie, and we, we had this conversation with our children. Um, and we even, said, um, we even said, I said to the kids, um, I said, listen, your mom is not white, uh, and Adrian loves that. Um, she is, she's Mediterranean, uh, she's from Greece, and we just got back from Florida, and next time you'll see her, you'll see that she's, in fact, not, not white. And, and we, we celebrate that. Um, but there is something about, we can be good dads, but if we're racist ones, it doesn't matter. 
Um, and so I wanted to begin a conversation this morning where we actually discuss the heart of the Father, the heart of the Heavenly Father on race, and we, as a church, where we begin to delve into a biblical theology of race. And so I want you to grab your Bibles because the only place to start is not, is not your upbringing or your, uh, your feelings on the matter, but we have to grab the Bible and we have to say, Father, illumine our minds to what you have already said about this topic, right? And so, uh, so I want you to grab your Bibles and we're gonna start in the book of Genesis and we're going to dig in, fearlessly dig into this, this topic. But as you do that, just turn to Genesis chapter one because it starts like this from the very beginning. Um, but I, I, I wanna say this, that racism is not an evil that we are suddenly facing. It did not just emerge, okay? But racism is an ancient evil that has always been. Uh, it's, it's a result of, of, of the fall. It's ancient in its evilness. Um, if, you, if you turn to Genesis and you start reading, you, you begin to see multiple places where race and racial superiority or thoughts of that or fear of somebody that's not exactly like myself begins to um, pr- pronounce itself. Um, you, you see that uh, uh, from Pharaoh in Egypt when um, the, the Jewish people were living in Egypt and they started to reproduce and get to be so large that, that Pharaoh made this fear-based, selfish, political move and he, he took these people that were a threat to his kingdom and he en- enslaved them all. Um, and then you see that in, in the context of all of that, God raised up Moses. See, Pharaoh is actually killing babies. Uh, and Pharaoh is, is trying to push a, uh, a nation down uh, because he is afraid of what they might do to him. But God, in the midst of that, raises up Moses, and Moses leads the Jewish people out of Egypt. This is a fantastic story. I think you remember this. Through the Red Sea, the waters part, uh, there's all kinds of plagues on Egypt. There's hardness of heart, but God moves in the midst of, of all of the mayhem, and, and Moses Moses leads the Jewish people out of, out of Egypt. But here's the, here's the crazy thing. When you're reading the story, I think this is something that I don't hear it, uh, talked about or discussed much at all. But you come to Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers chapter 12, you see that, actually even b- before then, you see that, that Moses' wife was a Cushite. You know this? And I don't know if you, if you do any study on, on what, a, that's a, the Bible says lots of things, that, you know, Israelite, <laughs> Cushite, who are all of these people? Well, Cushites are Ethiopians. And so Moses has married an Ethiopian lady. And in Numbers chapter 12, his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron did not like this. And interestingly enough, they speak out against their own brother, and then God says, hey, Moses is the most meek person on the face of the planet. In fact, when I talk to him, I don't talk to him through prophets. I talk to him face to face like a friend. And, and God actually turns Aaron and Miriam's skin white with leprosy. He's like, oh, you, you wanna be white? Fine. Let's see how you like this. So this has always been an issue. That there's, that when you go to the New Testament, there's extreme hatred towards Samaritans. In fact, um, the, there's so much hatred that if, you, if, if uh, Samaria was in between your, desti- your travel destinations, you would not go through Samaria Um, you would go around Samaria. You would add days onto your trip just so you wouldn't have to see or interact with a Samaritan. Samaritans are half Jewish and half Gentile, and they were disgusting to to the Jewish people. Um, The apostle Peter would not eat with Gentiles or someone, uh, people who were not Jewish and around other Jews, but he would if Jews weren't there. And Peter is dumbfounded when he, we see that in the book of Galatians. And Peter is dumbfounded when he sees the Holy Spirit being poured out on believers, 
on, Jew, on Gentile believers, on non-Jewish believers. He's dumbfounded. What in the world? His mind is blown, and God is literally having to give him visions from heaven and saying, nothing that I have made clean is dirty. And so we see this all throughout the scriptures. And this morning, I want to just begin the conversation laying the foundational work, a, a, the, a few foundational truths regarding race biblically. Um, let, let me tell you this, though. If we, the, the first thing that we need to do is we need to admit that there is a massive problem. My family moved to Hanover in the early 90s, and our first weekend in Hanover, the KKK marched. And so this, that goes under the radar and it doesn't make us angry and it needs to start. And we need to start saying, God, if, if we have a mission that says we wanna light up the darkness, well, that is darkness that needs the light of Jesus to shine on, right? And so this is an issue in our area especially. In fact, I would say that uh, even though my family is from the South, this area is the most polite, racist area I've ever seen in my life. And that's, that's saying a lot because my granddad is from Georgia and one of my earliest memories of him is uh, taking me to Stone Mountain, Georgia and I put on a Yankee cap, all right, a northerner cap and he knocked it off my head and he put on a southern cap and he said, those, those Yanks burned Atlanta and cried. So that's the heritage that I come from. And so, but this area, my friends, is much more polite, doesn't knock off, you know, union hats. But it does, uh, I think, blindly harbor racism. So here's what the Bible says about, about this. Genesis chapter one, I hope, you're, I hope you have your, your finger there. Genesis chapter one, starting with verse 27. Here's the context, the framework for all of this. Jesus has just spoken everything into existence. Dolphins, um, groundhogs, leaves and plants, dirt, light, and and. The pinnacle of God's creation here, after all was made, the pinnacle of his creation is humans. And here in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now guys, here's a foundation block, biblically speaking, for race. That every single person is an image bearer. You see, you hear this. Every single person is an image bearer. Now let's talk for a moment about image of God. The image of God means lots of things, but here's a few things. That being created in the image of God means that we're God's representatives on earth and we have authority that raccoons don't have. We have an authority on the earth that God has given us as image bearers to rule and, and to be, uh, to, to operate as, as God's representatives on this planet. And what sets humans apart, this is, the image of God is what sets humans apart from animals. That human beings have a soul and a spirit that animals do not. And human beings have, uh, have the image stamped on us that it makes us different from all other creation. We are the pinnacle of creation. It's not just that we were created last, it's that we were actually made like God. Image bearers. What makes humans human is the image of God stamped on our lives. Let me be very specific here that the image of God is not a possession or a gift that we eventually receive. The image of God is a condition that we are marked with as humans. 
It's who you are. This is an identity issue that no matter if you like yourself, if other people like you, if they speak well about you, if they don't speak well about you, if, if, no matter what side of the tracks you were born on, no matter what nation you were born on, if you were born in Antarctica, you are an image bearer if you are a human being. So this is, this is, this is massive. And now, now here's the practical outflow of being an image bearer. That as an image bearer, you are worthy of dignity and respect. As image bearers, every single person, biblically speaking, must be treated with dignity and respect because they bear the mark of God on their lives. Now, you don't become an image bearer worthy of dignity and respect once you put your faith in Jesus. You are, whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're saved or not, on this issue, it does not matter. If you're a human, you deserve dignity. If you're a human, you deserve respect because you are marked with the Father's image on your life. This is a biblical framework. This is a, a building block of Christianity. This racism is actually a gospel issue. So treating an image bearer with anything less than dignity, treating an image bearer with anything less than respect is an attack, an outright attack on God himself and whose image we bear. Now, some of us would say, and I've heard this, it's very interesting to just be quiet and listen in these days. Uh, some of us say, well, didn't we lose God's image when sin entered the world? Listen, when sin entered the world, uh, humanity was marred by sin, but we didn't lose our identity as image bearers. The image of God was not removed from us. It was not taken from us. We still bear God's image imperfectly, but it's there. So we didn't lose God's image. We still have it but we live in a fallen world where sin is present and it's not working out the way God designed it to. Now, so I want you to hear this, that every person is an image bearer and that means that the natural biblical outflow of that is that every single person you come in contact with, you like them, don't like them, every single person worthy of dignity, every single person worthy of respect, that is just how it is. Now, so I want you to hear that. Here's another thing, another building block, that God's covenant promises, listen to this, the promises that God has made with people throughout history, all throughout the scriptures, the promises that God has, has made uh, have always been multi-ethnic. In other words, they have always included all the world. And I think some of us will maybe raise some eyebrows to that, and if you do, this is good because this is God getting to some of your misconstrued theologies. Um, so God's covenant promise has always included the nations. Let me show you that biblically. Just flip now from Genesis chapter one to Genesis chapter 18 and then Genesis chapter 22. Let's read Genesis chapter 18 first. So Genesis chapter 18, 18, this is God speaking and he says, Abraham, all right? Your father Abraham who had many sons, Many sons of Father Abraham. I hope you learned this, this song in church as a kid or you teach your kids. I'm one of them and so are you. How in the world are you a son of Abraham? Well, you're, uh, through faith, that's how. Not through your ethnicity, um, not, through your, 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 uh, not through what nation you come from, but being a part of God's kingdom through faith makes you a son of Abraham because of what we call right now the Abrahamic covenant that we see in these two chapters. A uh, Genesis chapter 18, 18, God is saying, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And listen to this, 
Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, God is not saying the Jewish nation alone will be blessed through him. He's saying all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. What is, God, what is God talking about? He's talking about the covenant promise that he's making with this man. He goes on to explain it in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. In your offspring, here's God is making this, prom- this promise to Abraham after Abraham proved himself faithful by being willing to sacrifice his son on an altar, but then God provided the ram. Remember this? So, and God says to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This is the, the Abrahamic covenant, and it includes all nations. We easily skim over this, but we need to begin to, to lock horns, so to speak, with what does it mean that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through this one person? Well, this is primarily about the covenant promise of Jesus, the Messiah, coming to earth. It's not about race. It is about Jesus. This ultimately all nations will be blessed through Abraham because Jesus came through Abraham's lineage and Jesus is the hope of the nations. Jesus is the hope of the nations. I am saving the world, redeeming the world, reconciling the world back to myself through the one who's promised to come through your lineage, through this promise. Joel chapter two, verse 28, um, the, the prophet Joel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, declares this prophetically, where God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he goes on to say, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. He begins to break down. Your, your women are gonna, are gonna do things. Your men, uh, young and old, everybody. All flesh is gonna get a taste of my spirit. This is the heart of the Father. And then we begin to to read through the New Testament and that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where Jesus is is breaking down all of these walls that we've built that keep people out and keep, keep just us surrounding ourselves with people that make us feel comfortable because they're just like us and Jesus is breaking those walls down, boggling his disciples' minds all the time and then the book of Acts is full of the fulfillment of this promise that I will pour out my flesh and all my people, even Peter himself, like I said earlier, is scratching his head when he sees the Holy Spirit fill up people who are not Jewish. The whole Old Testament world was taking in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed and they're thinking that it's about one nation or one ethnicity, but Jesus is saying, this is for everybody. And then Colossians chapter three, verse 11, says here there is is not Greek and Jew. Uh, Greek would be uh, Gentile or anybody who's not Jewish. And, and, And here Paul is saying, here there is not Greek and Jew. There's not circumcised and uncircumcised. There's not barbarian. There's not Scythian. There's not slave. There's not free. But Christ is all and in all. So, so the scriptures begin to paint a picture of the people of God not necessarily being an ethnicity, but the people of God being the ones in whom Christ is in. And it says, Colossians chapter 3, uh, 11, here there is not group. Well, where is here? Where's here? Do you ever wonder that? The context of this, you have to go back to chapter three, verse one. If you've been raised with Christ, 
is the context. So if you have been raised with Christ, you are a new nation, you are a new people, you are a new kingdom where the dividing wall of of hostility has been torn in two, where there is not Greek and Jew, you're not defined anymore with, or were you circumcised or uncircumcised, are you a barbarian, are you a Scythian, are you a slave, are you free? That is not how you define yourselves in God's kingdom, it's Christ, it's Christ. So here in God's family, here in God's kingdom, everything is pointing to Jesus biblically. So at the cross, listen to this, at the cross, Jesus is reconciling us back to the Father and making a new family. It's really good. I love it. But here's what he's also doing, and here's, here's why I'm saying that, that, that race and racism is actually a gospel issue, is because the gospel does not just reconcile us back to the Father, the, the gospel also reconciles us back to one another. That's what it does. This is that God, God's not just giving us tickets to heaven, God's creating a whole new people that knows how to do life together. He's re- reconciling us back to one another and he's not putting up with any form of disunity in his family, all right? Now, I love all of this builds to the most beautiful image in heaven. In Revelation chapter five and Revelation chapter seven, you guys did bring your Bibles, right? And you don't mind that we actually open God's word a little bit? All right, good. So Revelation chapter five, you're gonna wanna read this one on your own, starting with verse nine. Here's what all of this builds toward. Here's what Jesus has been purchasing. Here's what Jesus has been doing. It says this, is a picture of heaven, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, singing about Jesus. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Now, from, now that's a massive word, massive word, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Wow. They sing, so here's the song of the redeemed. Here's the heavenly song of the ones who have been reconciled to the Father. Here's the heavenly song of the kingdom people that have now been made perfect in the presence of God. Here's what they sing. They say, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll, to open its seals. Why? You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Now, where did you get those people for God, Jesus? From the nations, from every tribe, that's where I got them. Every language is present in heaven. Every people, every nation is present in heaven. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. But Revelation chapter seven, starting with verse nine, I love this, it says this. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. A multi- an innumerable horde of people. Where are these, where's this horde of people from? From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Here's their song, here's the song of the nations. Here's the the song of the mosaic of people that have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. They're singing the song that says, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. 
This is what the mosaic of heaven is singing and saying. The, here's, the, here's the massive thing that we must take from what heaven actually looks like. We can imagine what heaven looks like uh, on, on our watch. It, it's, a, it's a family reunion with people just like us, our aunts and our uncles and stuff, and I hope that your family will be in heaven. But if you're gonna be in heaven, you've gotta come head to head with the reality that tons of people that don't speak your language and look nothing like you will be side by side making a massive deal of the one in whom it is all about. So God wants, listen, my friends, God wants a colorful family. Jesus wants a colorful bride. Biblically speaking, Jesus died for every nation and every people group. And what this means, if heaven is full of all the nations, if heaven is full of all the languages, if heaven is full with every dialect and every tongue and all tribes and all peoples, what that means is that there is no superior race at all. And even the, the thought of that is severely sinful, evil to its core. God, people that God wants, you can't hate. Even the Great Commission, Jesus is speaking. He's like, how are we going to accumulate this bride? I paid this massive price in Jesus. And so Jesus says, go win my bride, back to my father's heart and go into all the nations and make disciples. Don't start in Jerusalem and go everywhere else from there into all the nations. So let me say this, that division between mankind is not God's heart. And division between mankind based on race actually opposes the gospel because what Jesus, what you were opposing people because a color of their skin when Jesus in fact wants them, died for them and has made a way for them. Jesus wants them. And I think that many of us, we're gonna have to stop being very quick to voice our opinions and we're gonna have to go deep into our heart and we're gonna have to say, why am I okay to live in a town and not voice any concern when the KKK marches freely? Why is that? Why is that? Because the Bible says that our father's heart and our father's dream. Do you know that your father has dreams for your life, but your, the, the, your father, your heavenly father, has, has dreams for his kingdom, and that he sees, obviously, he sees a kingdom full of reconciled image bearers from every culture, from every place, from every nation. That God's dream for his family is I want a mosaic of people that have been bought by me and saved by me, reconciled to me, and, and are now making a kingdom family where they're learning to get along. So let me say a few things here, because practically speaking, we can, we can have a good theology on paper, but it has to make its way into our feet, Right? I think that so many, we, we've, we call discipleship discipleship when we teach people enough to pass a test in a classroom. But discipleship is not discipleship until we start living what we've learned. And so, so just to have a good theology of race is not enough. Just to believe that every person, right? Just, just to believe that, that every person, no matter what skin tone or ethnicity they happen to, to have, is an image bearer and has worth and deserves dignity. Just to believe those things, that's not enough either. Just to understand that heaven is, is full of people from all nations, that's, that's good, but that's not enough. Listen, just to not be a racist is not enough. 
Just to not be a racist is not enough. The Bible says in James that faith without works is dead. And so that if, if we are going to be the kind of church that God's calling us to be, we need to get uncomfortable with just not being a racist. And we have to begin to be an advocate for the nations with our lives. And we have to posture our hearts like that. Let me tell you a few things that God's doing in my life uh, that, that this season of life is starting to, God's kind of like pushing on and saying, because I, I think that I, I have personally gotten comfortable just not being a racist. Not racist, I think I've got a good theology on this. I, my theology hasn't changed. I've always held this theology with all of my heart, but I'm seeing that, no, more must be done. So becoming a church like this or becoming a people like this, it really takes a posture, a James chapter one, verse 19 posture, okay? And James chapter one, verse 19 says this, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Oh, very interesting. God's been putting me in situations recently where anger has been coming out, and I've been wondering, why am I becoming angry? It was probably because <laughs> I have not listened to people, and I've just, I've just voiced my, my uneducated guesses, <laughs> out before I've actually sat down and listened to people. And so RV, I just got back from a two-week vacation, and so uh, my family and I, we, with intentionality, we got together with people that do not look like us. They may look a little bit more like Adrian, but not, <laughs> not like me. But I'm actually, if you hold my arm up to Adrian's, I'm, I look like I'm pink. It's very disgusting. Uh, and, uh, and, and she looks like this beautiful uh, olive bronze, and, uh, and, and the kids scratch their heads, and they're like, oh, Dad, you, you ugly. And I'm like, but Jesus loves me. All people, he loves, right? And so, but we got to people that, that had, uh, we got around people that have much darker skin than any of us put together, and we, we took them out to eat and we said, talk to us, talk to us. We don't wanna share what we think because we haven't walked in your shoes. Talk to us. We wanna be in, this, in days like this, we wanna be so quick to listen. And then we actually form opinions. Slowly we speak after learning the issue learning your story, learning what you've gone through, learning your experiences. We don't just become angry. Many times our anger is a byproduct of short-circuiting this biblical process, and we are so postured just to speak and to speak and to speak and to speak, and social media does not help us at all in these days, and the church has to be slower to speak and quicker to listen, asking questions, learning I've learned so much in a few weeks from people of color that I am eternally grateful, grateful for and the, the grace in which they shared with me was the Father's heart all over me. Can I say this too? That's, there's a few things as, as white people that we get wrong often, all right? And here, let, me, let me speak one of them, is that white people should not say, I don't see color. I don't see color. Everyone's gray to me. I don't see colors whatsoever. That's actually offensive to people of color. You know that? And actually, that's offensive to the scriptures because in, in both Revelation chapter five and Revelation chapter seven, where people were from was a thing. You see that? You see that in the Bible? I'm not making this up. A great multitude that no one could number, where they're from is important to God. From every nation, all from all tribes and peoples and languages. That's important. 
Where you're from tells a story. Where you're from says something about you. Where a person is from is important. And if everyone's gray to you, you're starting to devalue something that God values and heightens in his kingdom. Where are you from? Where are you from? Where, where, are, you, where are you from? So, so this, this color should be seen and then celebrated. It should be celebrated. Oh, wow. You look different than me. That's not a threat. That's great. How many of us would get bored with a picture that had no tones? I'd say God wants this mosaic of a bride, and he makes a deal from, 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 from. And this, mosaic, and this church is just this glorious, beautiful, colorful bride, family. Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? In fact, I would say that if you have to swallow hard and not toss a tomato at the screen because I'm saying where you're from is important, you might wanna delve into the depths of your gospel understanding and really evaluate what is going on in my heart. And we have a vision statement at Providence. We call it the church we see. We wrote this in 2014, so it was, it was about, what, six and a half years ago. And in this, we say this. That here's, here's what we see as a church. We see a diverse community where relationships don't hang on similarities. I like that. But on God's extravagant love for every person. And this continues to, this has been woven into the DNA of, of who we are as a church. And this continues to be something that we need to just stop settling for on paper and begin to walk this out. And a diverse community where relationships don't just hang on similarities is a community where you can celebrate where people are from. Where you, can celebrate, uh, where you can celebrate people and differences in people, where the love of Jesus must keep us coming back to the family table, okay? So where we're from doesn't alienate us anymore. Where we're from gets celebrated, and, and all of the, the messiness in family, the love of Jesus covers and keeps calling us back to the table, calling us back to the table. Um, I drove to, to Florida. Uh, it, was a, it was just a, a small little jaunt, 16 and a half hours. <laughs> it's so easy, um, so simple. Uh, didn't struggle with sleep at all. The kids were angels, <laughs> right? Um, and, and in fact, that's not how it was at all. And, and, and in fact, it was, it was pretty tumultuous um, in some ways because my son is, is wearing size 16 shoes now, okay? 15, I'm sorry. But in his new shoes, they had to be 16s because they're size small, all right? I like to brag on him. He's 13, almost six foot three, okay? We had him in the third row, so his knees are kind of choking him at in his neck. Um, and, uh, and he's complaining, I'm six foot three. And, uh, and then the girls are like, we always sit in the third row. And everyone's like, nah, nah. And they're just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And listen, guys, um, we don't always get it right in the context of family, Right? But it's the, it's the love of Jesus. Listen, my, my daughter Lena is seven and she's not six foot three, but she gets to sit in this seat sometimes. And my son who is six foot three has to sit in the smaller seat sometimes. And it's a big mess. And learning to work it out despite all of our differences is, is, is crazy. But the gospel says that we can be reconciled to one another. And love is what keeps us coming back to family. Just because we disagree doesn't mean I've left the table, I'm gone, see you later. I disagree with you. I don't, I don't like how you do that. I don't like, well, well, sad to say that if you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, you're gonna be spending all eternity with people that are different than you. And if we can't work it out here, then we have some issues. And so the love of Jesus has to keep us coming back to the family table. Um, I, I love 1 Corinthians, listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. Can you see that I love the word of God? Like this has been, this has been <laughs> just a, a, 
sta- a stability for me in, um, in, in dark, hectic, tumultuous times, uh, is God's word. But it says here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 25, it says, uh, that there may be no division in the body. This is, can you hear this? God's heart is that in his blood-bought bride, there is no division. That's God's heart. This is what, and, and this, this is what Jesus, Jesus died for, to, to reconcile people to himself and to one another, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one mem- member is honored, all rejoice together. Listen, so we're living in a day where some people are suffering, and we need to suffer with them and acknowledge we see your pain. We're so sorry. We're sorry that it's taken us this long to get in your fight. And we're gonna, we're gonna suffer with you and stand with you. We are a body with members. We're not all the same. And when one member suffers, we suffer with him. When, when one member is hurting, we suffer with her. If, if, if you, the church can't be the kind of place that if somebody comes in with a broken leg, you say, oh, just walk it off. The church has to be a place where we practice hospitality. Hospitality comes from the word hospital. The church has to be a hospital where people are allowed to heal, not just given churchy little answers that show us that we know nothing about humanity. We don't, people don't just walk pain off. People have to be allowed and given permission to heal, and the church has to be that place. People have to be allowed to heal. Now, guys, this, I, I hope that you can see this. Can, can you see this, that every person is an image bearer biblically? Can, can you see this? Can you see that Jesus died for a multi-ethnic, gloriously colorful bride, and that Jesus loves all people in the world? Can you see this? You can't see that. All right. <laughs> well, let me dig back in. I think you can see that. I think that we'd have to be blind to, to not see that when the Bible says that that. By your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. I think that you can see that when the Bible says all nations, it means all people. And so what I'm asking us to do in these days is, is to have a biblical gospel that, that is not as small as your opinion of people, but is as big as the cross and the empty tomb. That's what I'm asking us to do. I really have no practical things. There's, this is, I'm leering in these days that we can use quick statements on social media as, as more of a smokescreen to guard our businesses, and it's really about money. Oh, we don't want people judging us. We still want people buying our product. Let's, let's kick out a statement. <laughs> okay, okay. We haven't kicked out a statement because I needed to listen much longer. And, and we, we have, because I actually don't want to be a church that makes statements to guard our product. I, I want to be a church that is not driven by a, a, a need to, to, to make cash. I want to be a church that actually knows what it is to walk after the heart of the Father into gospel regions that we've never been to before. I want to be a church that actually has the fame in the name of Jesus as its everything, as its highest priority, and say, Jesus, I want a season where I listen for a while, and I want to be a church that doesn't just make statements as a screen, but actually becomes the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ on this work, on this earth, in so doing, making earth a little more like your kingdom. That's the kind of church that I want us to be. And so that is what I'm calling us to. I don't have tons of practicality except this. Search your heart. 
Let, let your first response to people be, uh, be uh, postured and listening instead of having a raging opinion about everything. And that our opinionatedness is killing us. It's killing us. It's killing us. And now we have these social media platforms where we actually are pressured to having an opinion that we shouldn't possess yet. We need to be learners. And we need to sit and we need to listen. And I, I man, I have been so blessed by listening and learning stories. Um, these are crazy days, are they not? But, but Jesus is still on the throne not out of control, massively on the throne. And I think that he's setting us up to pour out like we've never seen in the history of the world. I think God's gonna be pouring out. In fact, yeah, I know a few of you are, are here in this, in this room right now. I wanna encourage you to stand. Uh, and then a few of you are, <clears throat> are at, uh, um, at, at home right now. And I just wanna pray a, a prayer of blessing over you right now. And even, uh, even uh, whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable, let's say, Jesus, I wanna receive right now. And so this is just kind of just doing this. So Heavenly Father, as a church, um, we're, we're so tired of, of statements and, and playing politics and just doing a little of this and a little of that, God. We actually wanna be an alive bride. We actually wanna be uh, walking in the in newness of life. We actually wanna be a new people. We actually wanna celebrate diversity. We actually want to uh, be excited about what, what excites your heart. We actually uh, lay all of our dreams down at the cross for the better dreams, the Father's dream on this Father's Day, I declare that providence will first and foremost be after the, the Father's dream for his kingdom. This is not our church. This is not our kingdom. We don't get to create one that makes us feel nice. We get to, we get to go into a wilderness that we've never explored that is not safe, that is tumultuous. And we get to say, Father, lead us around every bend. Catch us when we fall and make us a glorious bride that, that makes much of Jesus in this world. So Father, I, I, just, I just pray, God, right now that you do whatever it takes to make Providence that church, and that we would walk in your heart in this area. And that God, that I, I pray, here's, God, I pray courage into fathers, that not to bow to um, other opinions but to be so intimate with their heavenly father. Fathers receive this. To be so intimate, this is a generation of fathers raising up to be so intimate with their heavenly father that they've heard your voice and all the other voices fade into the background. And that you would, you would pour out courage just to walk into that kind of future. Just courage just to be the, the men and be the church that you have called us to be. God, I, I pray that, I pray for spiritual mothers in the church. God, that you would, you would pour out just all kinds of strength, that they would lead the charge with compassion and they would show us how to care for people. And God, we pray against the evil of racism. And God, we, we, there, there's some sins that we walk in that we didn't even know were wrong, we didn't even know we had. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to, to enter the, the closets of our soul. Or we thought we were fine. We closed doors, we threw away the key. It's such a small space in our hearts that we just thought, it's fine. It's, it, it, we, we forgot it was there, but it's there. Things that our grandfathers have planted in our hearts, 
things that we've made agreements with in the past and we didn't speak up, things that we just have believed because we haven't known any better, but they're still there. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Your word has called them out today and has divided soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And so we say, God, all the stuff that's not of your kingdom and not of your heart, we ask you to take and remove and, 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 and forgive. And begin to build us now, God, into a, a new people. A new people that is willing to go where, where the church has never been before. It's willing to, to, to step into new territory and to walk into new places. And, and Jesus, all of this is for you. All of this is for you. God, we don't wanna use you to get revival. We ask for revival so you'll be famous. We just pray that you would pour your spirit out on your church again. And, and that you, you, would, you would so wreck us, God, and then raise us to be people that are one cry, Jesus is your bride, Jesus is your church. All glory and honor to you. You alone are worthy to open the scroll because you have ransomed a people with your own blood for you. And so God, we're, we're sorry for trying to build a bride for us instead of for you. And we just pray, God, that you would change our hearts and you would touch us and you would minister to us. And we ask for all your best in this season, all your best, just all your goodness in this season, that it would make much of you. We bless you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.